Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and today we have Albert Gibbon back in the house. Albert, how are you doing this fine afternoon? It is great to be back. Um, there is a guy with his leaf blower just absolutely going insane outside my window. I hope that's all you guys can hear, but I imagine you can hear a little bit of, of that. But it's good to be back, and I'm really excited to talk today because Nick, we have a lot of really fun stuff to talk about and stuff that I am really excited to talk about. We definitely do. And I think there was, you know, about a 0% chance that I was not going to ask you to be on the podcast this week after I saw the article that you were writing for last week. So let's jump right in and get started with that before we get sidetracked for our usual five-minute random discussion about nothing. So Today, we are here to talk about Jaime Jaquez, and Jaime Jaquez is someone who I wrote about for New Zealand's NBA, did a feature on him last year, but this is your year, this is your feature, so Albert, what did you see from Jaime Jaquez when you went and dived into the tape? Um, I saw an NBA player, and I know that sounds really basic and simple, um, but I, I saw a guy that if I were an NBA front office guy, NBA GM, whatever, director of scouting, I don't know, pick a title. <laughs> I, I figured if I was working in an NBA front office and I watched his game, I'd just think, okay, this guy is kind of an adult. And he is um, a guy who plays with a lot of maturity. Um, he's really composed. Uh, he seems to always know what he's doing on the court. Um, offensively, especially, he has a lot of different layers to his game um, that make him a lot of fun to watch, especially once you start doing like a deep dive of his game. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, he's got stuff to offer there as well. Really good rebounder. So uh, just, I guess, like my opening statement here about Jaime Hawkins would just be that he's going to have a role in the NBA. I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. But like I mentioned and what I focused on in my piece is it really depends on the lens with which you're kind of looking at his game through. Um, if you're expecting a guy to come in, uh, if you're expecting Hawkins, Jaime Hawkins Jr. specifically to come in and be the star, you're just, you're, you're way off. Um, if you think he's going to walk in and be a number two option, I also think you're way off. I think he's a guy who um, is going to be mature, like I said, and he's going to play a role and he's going to play a role really, really well. And he's going to have no problem playing that role is uh, a good place to start. So you mentioned very early on in the piece that heading into last season, many, including you, thought that he would enter the draft after his junior year. I was with you. I mean, I had him as a first-round pick for the majority of the last draft cycle, and I was very surprised when he decided to return. And if you have not seen the video of Jaime Jaquez announcing that he's returning to UCLA for his senior year, go do yourself a favor and watch that. If you weren't a Jaime Jaquez fan before that, you will struggle to not be a Jaime Jaquez fan after watching that. And, you know, he came back for his senior year after, you know, he might have been able to be drafted pretty highly after his sophomore year. Honestly, that was, you know, UCLA made the final four, one, four run with him and Johnny Juzang kind of leading the show. And, you know, instead, we got two more years of Jaime Jaquez at UCLA, which, you know, was fun to watch as a, you know, someone who's watching a lot of college basketball and watching a lot of prospects. As you mentioned, I mean, Jaquez is an adult. He has an incredibly mature game. And, you know, if you look at him as a primary option, you're missing the picture, honestly, in my opinion, because there's so much that he can do. I mean, I talk about this all the time on this particular podcast of, you know, how many different ways does a player have to earn their way into a rotation? 
with Hakez, you've got so much that you can lean on. You know, if you need someone to attack a mismatch, he can do that. If you need someone to be an important cog as an off-ball defender, he can do that. If you need someone who can sling the ball around as, you know, not a primary initiator, but like a secondary initiator, someone who can run pick and rolls in a pinch, he can do that for you too. There's just so many different avenues by which Jaime Jaquez can positively impact a basketball team that, you know, if you expect him to be running the show like he is at UCLA, odds are that's not going to happen, but you don't need that to happen to get what you're going to get out of him. And as you mentioned in the piece, the reason why I love Hawkes' game so much is that he has all the tools of a high-level role player with little sprinkles of first option ability as well. And I think that really you know, gets to it in a T is just if you are expecting him to be you know, a multi-time all-NBA guy, I don't think the odds are that great. But if you're talking about you know prospects outside of like the very top group of the, gra- of the draft that have exceptionally high floors, he's one of those guys who it's very difficult for me to see him not functioning in some capacity at the NBA level. 100%. Um, I, I think that little quote that you pulled from my from my piece, I think that's exactly how I feel. And I kind of hint, hinted at that before as well. But he's a guy who, um, although he kind of shocked the world by going back for his senior season, I think he benefited from it too. Um, it gave him an opportunity to, uh, another opportunity to really lead that team, uh, to be the main guy um, heading into his senior season. I know he had like Tiger Campbell with him. They had a couple, a really fun freshman come in and Amari Bailey and a Dembona, but everyone knew who had the keys to the car. Um, everyone knew that it was Hawkins driving that car for UCLA and for Coach McCronin. And I think, you know, it was a good opportunity for him to continue to spread his wings and try things. And um, he faced a lot of defenses where he was the main guy. Um, where they're the best defenders on every team. They were looking at Hawkes and they were looking to close him down. And if you look at his senior season numbers, he ended the season at 17 and a half points, 8.1 rebounds, 2.3 assists, a steal and a half per game. Those are pretty good numbers, man. And those are numbers that um, I, I don't necessarily think he'll be um, emulating or duplicating those numbers, his freshman, or sorry, his rookie season in the NBA. Um, but eventually I could very easily see him averaging those types of numbers as like a number two, number three option for a really good team. And um, once again, I think just the opportunity that he had, although shocking really benefited him in the long run, because now, as you mentioned, it just adds to his versatility. You know, he's a guy that when you call upon him and you ask him to create for you a little bit, he's going to be able to do that because he's had the experience that he's had in college. Um, if you, if you need him to kind of just be a supporting role type of player, he's also done that in college. He played next to a Johnny Juzang who was a star for that team. And so, um, and, and then, you know, once we like get into the nitty gritty, the finer details of his game overall, there's so many different things that he can provide, you know, little skill wise that also really help and benefit a team as well. So uh, I'm with you, man. I'm, I just really like his game a lot. So we'll get into sort of some of the nitty gritty specifics with his offense in a bit, but something that definitely stood out to me with Hakez and, you know, this seemed to be, as you mentioned, you know, he clearly had the keys to the car heading in, but you know, part of it also was that Johnny Juzang went to the NBA. You know, we expected him to leave for the NBA the year before when he probably would have been, a first round pick. Right. And, you know, instead, not quite that, but, you know, he has gotten himself, you know, some minutes with Utah this season. So, you know, hopefully he'll continue to sort of establish his NBA career from there. But I mean, with Hawkes, his, you know, shot attempts per game went, you know, nearly four more field goal attempts per game. Right. And yet 
His free throw percentage went up. His three-point percentage didn't quite go up to the level he hit his sophomore season, but it was a boost from last year and on more attempts, which is certainly a good sign from him going forward. His rebounding jumped up massively. I mean, you know, he was saddled with a bigger role this year than he'd had before, even though his role had essentially been steadily increasing in each of his four years at UCLA. This year was the biggest role he'd gotten, and yet he was more efficient in every area except two-point shooting, where he went from 52.2% from two-point range to 51.9% on more than three more attempts per game. So, you know, essentially holding steady from inside the arc, improving his efficiency from the line, improving his efficiency from three-point range, grabbing a lot more rebounds. He just showed a lot more, and, you know, given an increased role, that's exactly what you'd hope to see from him. Yeah. Um, it's it's always tricky, right? Um, what you mentioned with Juzang and with a lot of different players, you know, it's, it's a dangerous game of do you go back and have more of your flaws uh, and your game kind of poked at, or do you, you know, jump to the NBA and, you know, ride off of the, whatever momentum that you had in college. And I think ultimately, I think you and I, I think we're in agreement, man. I think he pretty much benefited from going back to school. I mean, of course we don't know for sure because we don't know where he's going to get, he's going to end up getting drafted. But at the same time, the other side of the coin is we don't know for sure where he would have been drafted last year either right like you yeah. and i and Corey and others like we definitely believe he um should have been in contention to be a first round pick last year but we don't know that for sure um and, and for this upcoming draft too we, i i would love to see him go in the first round but i don't know that for sure but overall though with the run that he had with ucla and the season that he had in his senior season taking that team all the way to the sweet 16 and playing well in the tournament i, I i'd be I, I don't know. I, I, I Maybe people call me crazy, but I thought he had a good tournament, and I think that's going to help him. And I think NBA scouts are going to look back to the tournament the way that he played and he led that team. And I, I think there was a lot of good tape there, especially in that last game against Gonzaga. I, there's a lot to like. So um, once again, I know it's always tricky. Do you go back to school? Do you go into the draft? But in my opinion, I think he made the right choice, and he had a really great senior season. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what more he could have done against Gonzaga than what he did, honestly, right? <laughs> you know, he was basically the the last man standing for them, right? I mean, you know, Bona was out and, you know, Tiger Campbell did not exactly have the greatest game in his UCLA career. And it was basically just if they were going to win, it was going to be on the back of Jaime Jaquez. And I mean, dude played 39 minutes and, you know, scored 29 points on 25 shots, grabbed 11 rebounds. like had three steals what what else what else did you want from Jaime Hawkins in that game than what you saw honestly and if people are detracting from his draft stock based on that like okay that's that's a choice that you can make like if you decide oh but you know UCLA blew that first half lead so clearly it's all Jaime Hawkins not being good enough it's like okay you know if that's you're you're entitled to your opinion even if I don't feel like it's particularly the wisest opinion that I've ever heard but genuinely what what more was he was he expected to put up 40 in a win like what what more were you expecting from him than that i it's it's nonsense i i hope that person doesn't doesn't exist that says those types of things but um, fortunately i'm sure they do oh god <laughs> and like look for me nick the answer is easy um the ucla bigs were just terrible um i mean if Odembona wasn't in a game this season their bigs were just just always willing and excited to bleed points um i went and saw ucla play live multiple times a season and every single time i i said to myself wow ucla's backup bigs are terrible 
Um, and, I, and I don't mean that as disrespect. It kind of is what it is. Like, they really struggled. <laughs> I don't mean um, that as disrespect. But. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what? It is disrespect. They were so we bad. Go. They were really, really bad. And, um, you know, Adembona was really, like, the backbone of that defense, especially on the interior. And um, having their backup centers go up against Drew Timmy, who – depending on who you talk talk to, maybe the greatest post player of all time. <laughs> Unbelievable. But whatever. Um, he just had a field day, and he had put up, like, what, 36 on them? Um, yeah. Just fooling around, throwing up little flip shots all day. So um, if they had a Dumbona, I feel like they probably would have won that game. Um, but it's just how it goes. Injuries suck, and they happen. But Jaquez had a hell of a game. He put up 29 points on efficient shooting and he played his ass off. So I, I feel for the guy. I feel bad that they lost the game, but he had a hell of a game and he has nothing to feel sorry about or to feel embarrassed about or whatever. He, he played his ass off. It was fantastic. So let's break down his offense in a bit more granular detail. So the place you start it is I won't sugarcoat it. Hawkins is outstanding in the post. And, you know, that's a really interesting kind of, skill set to parse and break down for Hawkes because you know when we talk about post up player, you know, we literally just talked about it with Drew Timmy, who's an excellent post up player in college, who you know, I think I think most people at No Ceilings would be in the boat of maybe he gets a cup of coffee in the NBA, but that's about it. Right. Like we don't you know maybe he has a successful career overseas or who knows, maybe he figures out more than a cup of coffee, but you know, we're not talking about Drew Timmy as, you know, a first round guy, like who knows, maybe 20 years ago we would have in terms of how important the post-up was to the offense. But I think a huge part of the reason why I look at Jaime Hawkes in the post differently than say a Drew Timmy is a lot of what Hawkes can do in the post is, you know, not just take advantage of mismatches, which will be great for him, especially, you know, later on in his NBA career, but, also, just how great of a passer he is, he's going to create so many looks for others out of the post. And a lot of NBA teams these days are, you know, using post ups not just for scoring off post ups, but for, you know, generating passes out of the post. And that's something that Jaime Hawkins is, is going to be able to do at a really high level right away. Um, yeah, you, you nailed it. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to say, Nick, I, I feel like with Hawkins, it look. Playing in the post is what a lot of people consider like, you know, a lost art and, you know, the NBA is about pace and space and all that stuff. But my thing with Hawkes and like what I wrote about here in my piece is like, number one, like I remember like a year ago, somebody tweeted out something like, oh, Hawkes is an overrated post player. Like, what's his role in the NBA? And I'm like, look, man, like Hawkes is a legit six, seven. Like I wrote in my piece. I've seen him up close and personal several times. He has a gigantic frame, huge upper body, huge chest, huge shoulders. He like seeing him up close. Like when I was in Vegas, he walked right by me going to the bathroom and I looked at him. I was like, Oh, he has the same physique as Gordon Hayward, but he's playing in college was what I thought. And I was like, this is fantastic. Um, but the thing with him that I enjoyed so much is yeah. Like, He's a guy who sets good screens and he's mm. going to do that on the next level consistently. So what's, what does that lead to um, playing in pick and roll? He can go either as a creator or as a screener means that he's a really versatile player in those sets. And it just happens to be that in the NBA, uh, they run pick and roll a lot. So, um, you know, having a guy who's versatile in one of the most common, if not most common sets in the NBA 
not a bad option to have, right? And so him being a good screener and then coming off that screen and if there's a switch off that screen and he finds himself um, guarded by a smaller guard, you know, that post-up stuff is going to be advantageous to him. You know, with once again, six, seven size, big old frame, bring, posting up, posting up and, you know, pounding down like a six, two, six, three guard in the post. I, I think that's going to lead to a lot of good opportunities, whether that's, you know, a good, easy shot for him at the rim, little, little short hook um, in the paint or he, he's fading, you know, baseline or whatever, or passing out of that post. There are a lot of really fun options for him to take advantage of and him being a good post player in college and him being able to flash the different things that he can do out of the post. Those all sound like good things to me. So um, I don't remember who tweeted that out last year saying that he's a glorified post player or whatever. I, I hope they regret, regret that tweet because <laughs> I, I think he's going to be really freaking good. I've got some bad news for you. The kinds of people who tweet those kinds of things aren't the kinds of people who feel bad about the things that they tweet. Good. Okay. Well, good for them. <laughs> <laughs> just a few quick synergy numbers to back up exactly what you were just saying. 78th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler, 60th percentile as a pick and roll roll man, 61st percentile as a post-up player for his own scoring, but 63rd percentile with post-ups, including passes, right? So he's someone who is good in the post, right? Is, you know, someone who's a very solid post-up player, but also a player who generates more efficient offense for his team as opposed to passer than as purely a post-up player, right? I mean, 63 is larger than 61. That's how percentiles work, right? So, you know, the idea being, it's not just that he's someone who can, you know, punish a 6'2 freshman guard who weighs 37 pounds, right? It's that this is a guy who is generating good offense for himself and for his teammates when he backs guys down. And if you want to run him in more traditional pick and roll sets, he's really good at either side of that, as you already talked about. Yeah. And the biggest thing with him is like he he combines a lot of different aspects of his game when he's in the post. As you mentioned, really good passer, but his feet are fantastic. Um, he's got great feet. We know there are a lot of great prospects out there with great feet. Ahmed Thompson being one of them. Um, but, you know, with the good with the good foot. <laughs> I, what was that all about? Do you not remember the the clip on Twitter? Oh, oh, oh that. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> but he's got, Continue. He's got great footwork uh, in the post. Um, great touch, right? A guy who, um, you know, and uh, really great hesitations, good head fakes. Um, he's, he's a guy who can mix up speeds. It's just there, there's so many different things that he can kind of combine and that he has in his toolbox that make him a really hard guard. And like 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 I wrote in my in my article, as a great wall club. Walt Clyde Frazier would say he plays with a bulldozer like finesse and he's great at combining the toughness and the strength that he has with great feet and head fakes and change of pace and savvy and just knowing, you know, like the, the, the just like all the finer details of his game make him such a tough matchup. And I, I compared him to guys like TJ Warren, Jamal Mashburn, just as like a couple examples. But I, I just really think like, of course, once again, I don't think he's going to be a heavy volume guy on the next level, but I'd rather have a guy who has that in his toolbox than not, if you get what I'm saying. like, it, Once again, it may not be his main skill, but the fact that it's his, maybe his, no, it probably is his best skill, it's, it's not a bad thing in my opinion. So speaking of that bulldozer-like finesse that you mentioned, 
I think that another way in which he shows that is through his handle. And you mentioned this in the piece as well, but his handle is the kind of thing where, you know, no, he's not, you know, Darius Garland or Trey Mann. If you want to talk about a more recent example, you know, he's not someone who's going to cross over a guy and send him into the fifth row, but he, you know, his handle is very functional. He's, you know, really good at not turning the ball over for someone who has the ball in his hands as much as he does. And he just knows exactly how to use his handle to get to his spots. And, you know, okay, maybe he's not going to, you know, show up on house of highlights for demolishing someone on a crossover, but he will get to where he needs to go on the floor and get to his shots from there. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, I'm not particularly worried about it at the NBA level. In fact, I think it's going to be a huge plus for him because at his size, with his post-up ability, with his passing, he doesn't need to be, you know, breaking guys' ankles all the time. He just needs to be able to get to where he wants to go. And he does that at an exceptionally high level. Yeah, he's very much like the 45-year-old guy at LA Fitness who <laughs> grabs a ball and wants to play point guard and does a really good job of protecting the ball at all times. And, you know, his assist-to-turnover ratio is pristine. Um, he's that guy. Like, I think his handle is rock solid. Um, as I mentioned in my piece, he's not Stanley Hudson, you know, um, <laughs> he's, he's very sure of himself as a ball handler, does a good job. I'm not worried about him. You know, I'm not worried about him dribbling the ball off his foot or having it poked away at all times. He does a really good job. And there is a little bit of shake. There is a little bit of shiftiness there as well. And, you know, the fact that he doesn't have the quickest first step, but he does have a pretty tight ha handle that helps. You know, like it, it, you kind of have to have that or it, it definitely helps a lot if you're not one of these one percent super elite athletic guys, you know, um, and Hawkins isn't that. And I, and I want to be honest about that, too. I, I don't think he's some super freak athlete. I think he's very functional um, yeah. as an athlete. He has good functional athleticism to him, as we've mentioned with like his footwork and stuff. But, you know, he, he does lack an, an explosive first step. He's also not like the craziest vertical athlete either. So having a tight handle, having the change of pace, um, having the hesitations, the head fakes, all that stuff is going to help him a lot. And once again, like when we see that in a in a slightly reduced role as like a tertiary option or a fourth option, it, it, it makes a lot more sense. So we'll close out on a more positive note with the wrap up of his offense. But let's quickly get to the elephant in the room with his offense, which is the three point shot. And, you know, that's the kind of thing where, I mean, <laughs> you know, I cruelly refer to it as the Derek Williams principle of sometimes, you know, someone can look like a lot better of a shooter than they are because they have one season at 40% from deep in college on a really small sample size. And all of a sudden everybody's like, Hey, this guy's a shooter, right? I mean, Hawkins shot 37 of 94 his sophomore year for a 39.4% three point percentage. And, you know, that was the kind of thing where from his freshman season where he shot 31%, it's like, Oh wow, that's a, you know, pretty sizable improvement. It's funny because his free throw percentage also dipped dramatically between his freshman year and his sophomore year. And, you know, what we've seen in his last two seasons at UCLA is the free throw percentage was a lot more where it was freshman year, right? 76, 77% from the charity stripe. That's a, you know, really solid mark for you know, someone who's basically going to be like a wing forward type, right? But... The three-point percentage is not where you'd want it to be. And, you know, he's back up to just under three three-point attempts per game this season. He was at just a little over two last year. So, he, you know, there was definitely a period of time last season when it looked like he'd lost a bit of confidence in his long-range shot and it stopped taking it as much. So, 
you know, even though he's still only at 32% this year, it is definitely a good sign for him that he started taking more of those again, you know, after that sort of drop off last season when he fell to 27.6% from deep. But, you know, as you mentioned in the piece, he's going to need to be better than that, especially if he can just get to that level from the corners. I think he's going to be fine, but it's the kind of thing where he does need to get to that level. And it's certainly looking with a larger sample size. It's certainly looking like that 39% from deep was more of a mirage than sort of the true tale of his three point percentage, which is, you know, probably in the, you know, low thirties, 30 to 32%, which, you know, needs to be better. But ultimately if that's the one hole in his game, it's not like he doesn't shoot him at all. Right. It's not like, you know, he's someone who, you can completely ignore from beyond the arc because he can at least hit them and he will at least take them. But it's definitely something he needs to work on. I I think the biggest thing with his college numbers is like, we have to also take into consideration like role um, Mm -hmm. usage um, expectation, all that stuff from his freshman to sophomore year, obviously, you know, he's playing in a bigger role, expected to do more, same thing, junior season, senior season. And and like, it it felt like a very typical four-year college career where over the course of your four years in college, you're going to go through a lot. You're going to change. You're going to evolve. And even if we're like not talking about basketball, like if you and I talk about our (laughs) college experiences, like there are certain things that, you know, freshman to sophomore year, maybe we improved upon and then we dipped in our junior years or whatever. And it's kind of like the, the variance there, there are so many different factors. And the biggest thing for me when I was looking at Hawkins's shooting overall is, yeah, like, as I as I wrote about, like, I didn't love the volume, 2.8 attempts per game. I, I definitely wanted more. But then also, like, we have to go back to the fact that he was expect, expected to really kind of carry that offensive load right and for him he was most comfortable in the mid in the mid-range he was most comfortable posting up and like if you're being expected to score a lot and to be kind of the main offensive hub then it it makes sense for you to kind of go and rely on the things that you're good at um and, and your strengths right but at the same time like when i watched him when i watched his tape and i watched the threes that he was taking you know like it 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 was good I, I had no problem with the form and the mechanics. The the only thing that I kind of highlighted was like, I thought at times that he was shooting kind of like right from his face, which is, you know, something that I think you can fix. But overall, like I, I just go back to the fact that I felt like there were different variables involved. You know, it wasn't as straightforward as like, Hey, he didn't shoot the ball as well. His senior season, you know, I, I thought there were different things that, you know, he was asked to do. And even on the defensive side of the ball, right. he, really wanted to guard some of the best players in the country when he's playing defense and that type of stuff wears on you as well. And I like it, it, this all just sounds like I'm trying to make excuses for him. But at the end of the day, for me, like when I look at the mechanics of the shot and I look at how smooth it looks and how it doesn't look that different from where he's shooting when he's shooting from like the mid range or from the baseline or whatever, like that was encouraging to me and made me think that, okay, like if he's, you know, playing on a team in the NBA, let's say he gets drafted in the twenties or the late twenties and he's playing for a playoff team. Right. Um, First off, in the beginning of the season, he may not even get that much burn, right? So during that time, he's working on his shot. He's working with the developmental de- developmental side of the team. And he's, you know, just jacking up 500, 600 threes per day. And then, you know, when he gets into the game, he knows his role. He'll be standing in the corner a lot and doing a lot of, you know, supporting role type of things. And I think over time, with the mechanics that he has as a shooter and with more volume, I... I I came out more positive than I think others may end up being about his shot. 
So let's wrap up the offense on a more positive note. And you wrote in a sentence an idea that I've blathered on for hours and hours at a time about, and you encapsulated it far better than I ever did. So I'm just going to read off what you have to say. The more I think about prospects and future projections, the more I realize we're looking for who has the most tools in their bags and the quality. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier with earning your way into a rotation in a variety of different ways, right? You know, if you're just a pure three-point shooter and you know i don't feel as bad as i do about the Derek williams thing but i do feel kind of bad that troy daniels is always my go-to here of man that guy could shoot and he just couldn't do anything else well enough to stick around but you know if he'd done you know even a few things like if he'd been a slightly better passer if he'd been a more effective defender if you know he I don't know, you know, if he was someone who just had a little bit more in the toolkit than just that three-point shot, you know, he probably would have stuck around for a long time. I mean, I guess the best, you know, recent example is Duncan Robinson, right? Where, you know, for a couple years, this guy was, you know, on fire and all of a sudden it's like the Heat are signing him to a five-year, $90 million contract. And then the league progresses and it gets to the point where it's like, okay, but given that everybody just knows, all right, if you're on Duncan Robinson, you just hug him from the three-point line, and that's really all you need to do. He all of a sudden, you know, lost his place in the rotation and became a lot less effective because teams figured out that's all you need to do with this guy, right? And with Hawkes, there's no one avenue where you can say, all right, we're just not going to let him get into the post. You're not going to let me get into the post? Great. I'm going to set screens. I'm going to roll. And I'm going to, you know, dime guys up if I get the ball in a short roll situation okay, you've decided that you're not going to let me handle the ball. Great. I'm going to go, you know, stand in the corner and maybe I can make threes from there. But more importantly, I'm going to, you know, try and cut, get myself active around the basket. And if you don't box me out, I'm definitely going to be grabbing the rebound, right? It's the kind of thing where because he does so many things as well as he does, it's really difficult to play him off the floor. And because of that, it's really difficult for me to see him not finding a home at some level in the NBA. You know, like maybe he doesn't become an all-star, an all-NBA guy. Maybe he doesn't even become a starter, but I would be stunned if he is not a role player at the NBA level for a very long time. Yeah, man. I, it's something that I always think about when I'm evaluating guys is, I mean, what are the, I mean, how much are you making the opposition think? is something I, I I always think about. Like, how many different tools, how, how much versatility is there to your game that causes the defense to kind of always be guessing? To give you an example, this past weekend, I was watching the UFC stuff, and, like, the main card was between these two guys. I can't remember. One of them was Chito Vera. The other guy, can't remember his name, right? But the other guy, gosh, I wish I remembered his name. We'll just call him other guy. Other guy. Um, OG. <laughs> OG. Um, ended up winning the fight because he was just like constantly mixing things up, right? He was switching his stance. He was, you know, constantly moving laterally. He's throwing all different ki kinds of combinations and different types of punches and then going into wrestling and doing different things. And like, that the other guy Cheeto Vera who ended up losing the fight he was known as like this power puncher and this impact guy and really exciting but he ended up losing because he was kind of a one-trick pony you know and the guy who won the fight just could throw so many different things at him that it became kind of an easy fight for him where they went five rounds with no knockout but he kind of won emphatically like five rounds to zero because he was just there's so much to think about. Like you could literally see Cheeto Vera like being hesitant about like what he wanted to do because he was constantly guessing 
what his opponent was going to do. And then that ended up making him second guess himself. And when I look at prospects, I just feel like the more you can offer and the more that you can make the defense think, or if as a defender, the more you can make the offensive guy think, the more effective and valuable I think you are. And watching Hakez on the offensive side of the ball, whether it's his post play, his mid-range stuff, him attacking the rim, him rebounding, uh, him setting screens, him passing, there's just so many different things that he can do at a, a, an average or above average level that I think raises his overall game. And it's kind of why I like him a lot. And I, and I find myself liking a lot of guys like that. Cause I feel like I said a lot of similar things about like Kobe Jones as well, you mm-hmm. know? So um, yeah, I, there, there's just a lot in his toolbox. I mean, part of it too is, you know, we talk about this all the time where, you know, in the college game, it's like a game of feet in the NBA. It's like a game of inches. Right. And if you hesitate, the defender is going to take advantage of you. Right. With Hawkes, like, you know, that if he gets the ball in his hands, he's going to make a good decision. He's going to make it quickly, right? And, you know, quickly can be, you know, going into a post-up and backing the guy down for four seconds and throwing up a hook, right? It's not like quickly doesn't necessarily mean a pace thing in this instance, right? It's just, okay, I know what I'm going to do with the ball when it gets to me, if it gets to me. And if it doesn't get to me, I know what I'm going to do off ball to disrupt the defensive flow. And, you know, even if it's not a good shot for me to get a good shot for someone on my team, whether that be, you know, diming him up or setting a really solid screen at the top of the arc to get the the movement shooter free, right? There's just so many things that he can do. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, he's going to run through those progressions a lot faster than most players in college and most players in the NBA, where it gets to the point of, you know, he's, he's not going to be someone who you're worried about, you know, him getting the ball and sort of freezing at the top of the arc, right? He's going to do something and he's going to do something that maybe it's not the best play every time, but it's a very solid play, which is not something you can say about honestly, you know, most players at the NBA level. Correct. And that kind of goes back to like the maturity stuff that we talked yeah. about. It goes back to the four years he spent in college, the reps, the experience. He's, he's, he's just got, a, there's a lot there. And they, you know, I, I live out here in Southern California and they always tell me the smart people go to UCLA. And I guess they're right. Cause Hawk <laughs> is a really smart guy. He does a really good job. And um, I think NBA teams are going to see that. And I think like, also like, I think they're going to get him in the room. And that's why Hawk is, if you're listening to, to, to this right now, I do hope you jump on a film session with a Corey and I, because I, I just, wow. Think- okay. Just leave me out of it. I see. I get it. I, I understand. I see. All right. That was a shameless plug for the draft tag and BA pod. Okay. That's what that was, Nick. Um, uh-huh. But, but <laughs> um, I just feel like he's going to be really smart. Like I, I think NBA teams are going to sit down and be like, Hey, you know, they'll, they'll run some film in front of him and be like, dude, what were you thinking here? And he's just be like, um, yeah, that was easy. You know, look, the defender here sagging. Um, you know, they had all eyes on me. I was a top guy, you know, had had a mismatch there. Obviously, they're going to send help. So I found the guy in the weak side corner and he, and he hit a three. Like, I feel like, you know, he's just going to be really smart. Um, and, and I think that shows in his film. And um, to be honest, it showed a lot in, on, on the defensive side of the ball as well, which I'll pump the brakes on and kind of let you transition to. No, actually, that was a better transition than I was probably going to come up with. So let's just use that as the transition here. So you say in the piece, he's not going to be your best defender, but as a wing defender with strength and IQ, he will have some moments where you will be ridiculously impressed with what you're watching. And, you know, that I think covers a lot of it with the defensive stuff for Hawkes for me, because, you know, okay, he's not Mikhail Bridges. He's not Drew Holiday, right? But he is not going to screw up. 
you know, it's just that simple, right? He's someone who you put him on the wing or, you know, maybe even the small ball four, and he's going to switch at the right time. He's going to stick with his guy through screens. You know, that strength that we talked about on the offensive end shows up a lot on the defensive end too, when he's, you know, fighting through screens or pushing guys who have three, four inches on him, you know, when they try and post him up, right? It's the kind of thing where, okay, you know, maybe he doesn't have the kind of quick feet that, you know, I mentioned Darius Garland in terms of handle earlier, right? He's not the kind of person maybe you want to stick on Darius Garland for every possession, but if you need someone to cover him, you know, on a switch for a little bit until he switches back, you know, he's someone you can trust in that. But more to the point, he's someone who you can trust him in a defensive system. And, you know, at six seven with his size, you know, other than the sort of water bug point guard types and the massive center types, you know, basically most players two through four, you can say, all right, we can throw Hawkins on that guy, right? And, you know, maybe you don't want to throw him on the toughest defensive assignment every night, but you throw him on the second toughest defensive assignment every night, he's still going to do a pretty solid job. And more to the point, I mean, in terms of playing in a team concept defensively, he's, I think, one of the most underrated prospects in this class in that particular regard. Bingo. Um, the thing, I kind of want to piggyback off what you said. Um, he doesn't have quick feet, but he has smart feet. And what mm. I mean by that is not that, you know, his feet have a brain um the thing with hawk is that i really enjoyed with his footwork is that I, I felt like he was always reading where the offensive player wanted to go reading hips reading eyes reading you know the play call um and i feel like he was you know because he's such a good thinker of the game i felt like he did a great job of positioning himself and reading the angle that the offensive player wanted to take and beating them to the spot not because he was faster but because he was thinking the game faster um, if you watch the compilation that I put together, um, there were a lot of clips from the game where they played against Kentucky. Um, I'm pretty sure that was at the Garden and Corey and uh, Nate were there, I believe. But in that game, he put uh, Jacob Toppin in hell. Like he did such a great job of, um, you know, beating him to the spot consistently and with his strength, just walling up against him, kind of really moving him at times because, you know, Jacob Toppin is not a small guy, but Hawkins is just stronger. Um, he's got a strong base, strong chest, and he really took advantage of that with his IQ and savvy, just beating top into the spot consistently and then using his strength to make his life really difficult and force him into tough shots. Um, there are also a couple of possessions that I highlighted where, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, in a switch, he ends up on bigger guys, you know, against uh, Tubelis or, you know, one of these bigs for Oregon or whatever. Like he did a really good job of getting his chest into them and making um them take really difficult shots and that's something that i think you know with Hawkes once again like as you mentioned he's going to struggle with the smaller quicker guards he doesn't have the quickest feet and once we're talking about the 1% really fast elite guards like in my opinion most defenders are going to have trouble with those guys but with Hawkes the thing that's going to be fun about him is he's going to be able to guard bigs in a pinch um you know you don't want him consistently guarding fives but in a pinch he's going to be so strong and physical and smart that he's going to be able to hang with them once in a while he's going to be able to clear the boards as well as i've mentioned multiple times he's a really good rebounder so just i i just like how smart he is uh, was the main thing that i wanted to focus on and you know you mentioned jacob toppin as someone who he absolutely locked down this is not some skinny freshman whose profession will not be basketball right this is the six foot nine, 200 pound younger brother of a former eighth overall draft pick, right? This is not, you know, who's probably going to be, if not an NBA player, certainly an overseas professional himself at some point, right? This is not, you know, 
someone who, you know, their one moment on the screen was getting demolished by Jaime Hawkes, right? This is a legitimate prospect who he just completely took out of the picture in a very important, you know, prove it kind of game for his team. No, a hundred percent. And like, as you mentioned, like, he's a guy with pedigree. He's not look, Jacob Toppin isn't going to be doing my taxes in a couple of years. <laughs> is what we're trying to say. He's a guy who is, is going to be a basketball player some somewhere. And Hawk has put him in hell, dude. Like just go back and watch that film. I was so impressed by what Hawkins was doing to him, just making it difficult, you know, with his feet, but also his hands, like really active hands. Hawkins has good hands. I, I won't say he has the fastest hands, but they're good hands. Effective. He knows how to use his length. I don't, don't know what his wingspan is but i don't think his wingspan is negative at all um and he does a good job of just once again it's the toolbox with him he's got so much going for him whether it's the intellect or his you know his positioning and his footwork and his strength and th there's just so much he can offer and, and once again like I, I just feel like as a wing defender who can guard bigs in a pinch there's value, man. Like NBA teams are going to want a guy like that. And, you know, he may not come with the most flash, but I, I, sometimes the, the flash isn't worth all that you think it's going to be worth. And I, I, I talked about that too. And you mentioned the hands as well. And, you know, he's a pretty good seals guy for someone who's as solid as he is defensively. I fully admit, have admitted before, will admit again that, I tend to very highly value steals numbers in college and non NBA leagues and perhaps admittedly overvalue them because, you know, a lot of guys generate steals just by gambling on every play, but hockey has averaged a steal and a half per game while not being that gambling type, right? Just by, you know, reading plays, getting his hands in passing lanes, stripping guys who weren't careful enough when they were isolated against him one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, again, I think the off ball stuff is much stronger for him than the on ball stuff. But, you know, when, when you're talking about either of those things, you know, his, his ability to make plays, it might not be, you know, in terms of the, you know, ridiculous shot blocks that, you know, you might expect from one of your more athletic big man types. But I mean, again, as you mentioned, right, like he had to cover up a lot for UCLA, especially when Adem Bona wasn't in the picture, you know, he's someone who at the NBA level is, you know, going to be like a wing forward type he's not going to be a six seven center not that there are many six seven centers right but you know he's certainly not going to be one of them but again you know if you're talking about just being someone who you can trust to be an effective defender in a pinch right you know maybe the quickest players and the biggest players in the nba might give him trouble but they give everybody trouble right like if there was someone who was effective at shutting down Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic or Giannis or Shaq back in the day, right? That player would that player would have been paid a lot more, but you know that player didn't really exist. And you know, for Hakez, he's not going to need to cover those kinds of players in any more than a pinch anyway. And if that doesn't go great, okay, you know, it's not like you would have expected much from anybody else in that particular situation. But you know, when you're talking about basically anybody outside of those two outliers on the you know exact opposite ends of the positional spectrum. You know, maybe he won't be the best defender, but again, he's got a very good shot to be your second best defender. And at the very least is someone who you can trust to not make a mistake down low. I mean, you know, his foul rates for someone who defended the way he did this year, like he's decreased his foul rate every season, basically since his freshman year, slight uptick this season versus last season, but he's under two fouls a game despite having to cover a lot of big man mistakes this year, a lot more certainly than he had to last year. It's the kind of thing where, you know, again, maybe you don't say this is an all NBA defense type player, but 
I think the odds of him being bad beyond like year three, I mean, most rookies really struggle defensively, right? But, you know, beyond like year three, I would be stunned if he's not at least an average defender at the NBA level. Yeah, no, 100%. And also, like, we also have to acknowledge they also lost Jalen Clark before the tournament. Yeah. And uh, Jalen Clark was just named the Pac-12 Defense Player of the Year. So he was good at defense. Um, no, really? Jalen Clark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, the fact that Hawkins had to kind of take that upon him with both um, Clark and Bona out during the tournament meant a lot. And I, I love what you said, man. Like, everyone wants to be like, well, can they guard Giannis? Can they guard uh, Jokic? It's like, dude, it, no one can. Like, look at their numbers, dude. And it's not like it, we're, they're not going to be like Todd McCullough back in the day, just getting absolutely destroyed um, by Shaq every time. Like, I, I think Hawk is going to hold his own. I think he's going to be a guy who is going to be tough against guys that are bigger than him. And he proved that in college. I, I just mentioned before how, you know, even going up against a guy like Tabellus, Tabellus was fantastic in college this season and was a really good player. And he gave him a hard time once in a while as well. So I, I just feel like with Hawkes. You, you put him on threes and fours, he's going to do a good job. Even against twos, I think he'll do a good job. Um, will he struggle against Kyrie Irving? Yeah, everyone does. Will Dame Lillard ball him up? Absolutely. But look at those guys, their numbers, man. They ball everybody up. And if you have a guy who's going to compete for you every single night, and also, like, I wrote in my piece, he, he, had, he averaged two and a half offensive boards per night, which is good, too. Eight, and a half, eight rebounds overall. Like, I, I like guys who rebound. I, that just tells me they care. They're willing to go down there and box people out and hustle and fight for boards. Like that type of stuff is good. And I know NBA teams like that as well. And he's a six, seven wing and not a seven foot center. So I, I just feel like once you start putting all the different pieces together and you look at him as a whole, like a player, you know, in his totality, it's, it's, it's a really good player, dude. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned at the very end of the article, uh, Jaime, if you're reading this, don't hate me for comparing you to an old man. Love me for comparing you to a star role player. You know, that's kind of what it boils down to for me is, okay, you know, there are definitely prospects in this class who have a higher ceiling than Jaime Jaquez. I'm not denying that at all. But if we're talking about... I look at his game as I have for, you know, the last few seasons, right? This is, this is not a new thing for either of us in terms of, you know, being on the Jaime Jaquez junior train. But, you know, the idea being that he does so many things so well. And he is just such a smart basketball player that, you know, I watch his overall game and I think, okay, you know, maybe I don't think the odds of him being a future Hall of Famer are all that high. But... I think the odds of him lasting a decade in the NBA are pretty high. And when you're talking about, you know, end of the first round, right? Like, you know, we talk about this all the time in No Ceilings where, you know, out of every draft class, like around 20 to 25 guys make it to, you know, having longer term NBA careers, right? Like, you know, making it to the second contract, making it to a third contract, right? If you think Jaime Jaquez is one of those players, and to be entirely clear, I do, and you're, you know, a team with the 23rd overall pick, right? Just, you know, picking at random, right? Like, let's say you have the 23rd overall pick right now. I believe that would be just, you know, complete coincidence. The Sacramento Kings. If Jaime Hawkins Jr. took Terrence Davis minutes, if Jaime Hawkins Jr. took Terrence Davis's minutes next season, I would be so happy. 
right? And, you know, I guarantee that if you're a fan of another team that's near the top, you can look at your rotation, right? I mean, the Knicks are, I think, slated for the 22nd pick right now, right? <laughs> you know, I, I'm i willing to bet that there's a player on the Knicks who you could say, you know what, if their rotation minutes were taken by Jaime Jaquez, that would just make this a better team overall, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing where all of these teams who are, you know, not the best of the best, but need another guy in their rotation, right? Need an eighth man, need a ninth man. You know, I think the ceiling is higher than that for Jaime Jaquez. But even if that's all he is at the next level, eighth man, ninth man, that's a steal with the 22nd, 23rd overall pick. Yeah, I, I think sometimes like we get so caught up in like the the excitement and the hope that comes with potential that we lose sight of the fact that like good players are good. And, um, <laughs> you know, like sometimes it's not a bad idea to take the guy who's already good at basketball than the guy or over the guy who hypothetically or no theoretically may become good at basketball. Um, it, it's a tough one. Like, I get it. But like, you know, funny enough, I, I look at my Knicks roster and I actually don't think Hawkins could play just because our bench is pretty solid. Um, but he would be a guy like I would love on the Knicks to, you know, develop and eventually, you know, who knows, because I feel like the Knicks have a move that they're kind of waiting to make right now, just waiting for the next disgruntled superstar. But um, I, I'm with you, man. Like, and it's the same thing that I was thinking about when I was writing about Kobe Jones. Like, I think sometimes we look at these guys who are rock solid college basketball players and we say, okay, we know what they are and what they're going to be. And in my opinion, I just don't think that's fair at all because over the course of their four year careers in college, they've grown and they've matured and they've changed their games. Why is it that once they get to the NBA, they stop growing and maturing and changing? <sighs> Like, I just don't understand that at all. And I, like, whether it's Kobe Jones or Jaime Akis Jr., I think both guys have a lot of growing left to do. And I still think that there's a high ceiling for both of those guys. And, you know, specifically for this episode, as we're talking about Hawkes, if Hawkes' three-point shooting goes up and he becomes a 35 to 38% three-point shooter, then we're talking about a really interesting player who could do more than what, even what we're projecting him to be right now over the course of this podcast. So I, I, I always think, you know, projections and growth and all that stuff, it, potential, it, it's always scary. And it is not a perfect science. And sometimes just grabbing the guy who's good at a lot of different things isn't the worst idea. I... 100% agree. There are so many NBA players who added something to their games in their mid-20s that completely changed things. And there are a lot of NBA players who were four-year college guys who year three developed something, right? You know, we talk about year three is a huge developmental year for a lot of prospects. Guess what? It's just as much of a big deal for the 24-year-old prospects as it is for the 20-year-old prospect. Well, 21, I guess. 21-year-old prospects, right? You know, the idea being... Yes, you continue to work on your game at the college level or at the non-NBA pro level if that's where you end up. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> with you know the two easiest examples, right? Like Pat Beverly and P.J. Tucker were not in the NBA and then they, you know, were journeymen overseas. They figured out enough. You know, P.J. Tucker in particular got that corner three-point shot down and all of a sudden these are guys who have decade-long careers, Right. Players do not stop developing the moment they declare for the NBA draft. It's not, okay, great, made the NBA draft. Now I'm never going to get in the gym again because, hey, I made it, right? Who cares? But, you know, the the thing with hockey is too, you know, 
as you mentioned, we've sort of talked around it. I mean, I even mentioned it as like the elephant in the room of his three-point shooting isn't quite where it needs to be. You know, if he even gets to, as you mentioned, 35%, which is between where he was his sophomore season and where he was this season in terms of his three-point percentage, if he gets to that point, then, you know, he's probably more of like a fifth starter type than a role player type. And if he gets back to where he was as a sophomore, if that wasn't the Derek Williams mirage, right? If he can get back to the point where he's a high thirties, maybe even low forties, three point shooter, that's more than a fifth starter, right? That's someone who maybe can even work his way into being the third option for your offense. Right. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, he's shown that he can do that granted on a very small sample size of 94 three point shots. Right. But you know, he's gotten hot enough that he maintained that near 40% three point mark. If he can establish that as a future baseline of his, then we're talking about him as someone with a lot higher ceiling than we've talked about this entire podcast. Whereas the idea being, even without that, he's got this super high floor, right? With that, you know, we're talking about someone who we might be underselling by thinking of him as a back of the first round guy. Yeah. No, 100%. And like, you know, the passing stuff, good, you know, yeah. important. Handle, good, important. Like, and those things can still get better. Like, I just, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I sometimes I wonder, like, do we really know just absolutely nothing sometimes? Like, when I think about, like, <laughs> how we evaluate players and, you know, like, we're doing another big board this weekend and I just thinking about my own big board i'm like looking at guys i'm just like do i what the hell am i doing here like (laughs) why do i have this guy above another guy and like what's my reasoning and then like i'm like trying to look myself in the mirror i'm just like okay i guess like my reasoning for having x over y is just because of potential well how much potential do i think he actually has and then i it's tough man it really really is tough which is why i guess gms and whatever they get paid what they get paid and i'm making zero dollars right now but um <laughs> I, I i really think hawkins is a guy that's worth taking a bet on especially if you're a team late teens early 20s mid 20s whatever and if he somehow survives to the second round like dear god i think that's fantastic value for you to go and grab a guy like that because he's got prototypical nba wing size like wing size um he's got all the different tools that we've talked about is he elite at anything no but also does it matter like if you're drafting in that range um you know like there are guys of course that are one trick ponies like We've talked about Duncan Robinson, who plays over Duncan Robinson now. That's Max Struess, and Max Struess is a guy that can actually play a little defense, who can put the ball on the floor a little bit. So um, my biggest thing is with Hakez, he's he's got multiple tools, and I actually hate that I brought up the Miami thing because, good God, he'd be a good fit in Miami. So um, let me stop there and hope he ends <laughs> up on the Knicks. Um, but yeah, I r- really, really enjoyed his game. And if you're an NBA front office guy and you somehow heard this pod, Take a deeper look at him, man. I think you're going to like his game. All right. Before we wrap this one up, we have to talk about something very near and dear to both of our hearts. Anthony Michael Volpe has made the opening day roster for the New York Yankees. I'm. Where do we start, man? I, I, I mean, like, look at us. Like right now, we're just giddy, just, just, just about to talk about this. How old is he? Eighteen, nineteen? Like, we're he's 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 still nineteen, just like Jason Tatum. No, he's he's twenty one years old. But dude, we're it's just so exciting to have. Like, I didn't I didn't know it was possible that you know people we were like cloning people, but to have the second coming of. Derek Jeter to just be here now um, and to be our starting shortstop is really exciting. Like the way they talk about Volpe is so 
interesting. They're like, yeah, the defense is good, but it's not elite. I'm like, yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh, really <laughs> good hitter. Uh, good contact. Got a little extra pop in there that people would be surprised about. I'm like, okay, cool. That sounds familiar. Great in the club clubhouse. Leader. Um, a guy that people want to follow. I'm like, cool. That sounds like our captain. It, it's just, it, there's a lot to be excited about. And you watch the kid. Like I was watching them play today. They're playing the Nationals. He just had two unbelievable plays. Like there was one um, hard grounder up the middle, makes an unbelievable play, shows off the range, diving grab, gets up, throws an absolute rock to first. Fantastic. Um, another play, he's kind of like shifted over closer to the second base side. Um, liner goes diving, catches it. And just like this guy's just electric. And I, I'm so excited for baseball to be back on Thursday. But the fact that we have him as our starting shortstop, which honestly heading into spring training, I never ever imagined would actually happen. This all just feels like a dream right now. Man. Honestly, it was at a point where it was like, okay, maybe we hope that the Yankees believe in Oswald Peraza enough such that we're not starting both IKF and Josh Donaldson on opening day. And it says like, wow, the you know young shortstop prospect who's been tearing it up offensively who's you know good enough with the glove right instead of like this elite defense first shortstop who are really unsure about the bat we're getting someone who's solid enough defensively but instead just has this crazy hitting potential i mean god for spring training and you know granted it's spring training but 302 413 623 slash line and he's not even 22 years old yet Look, and Nick, the funniest thing that you mentioned is the fact that IKF, known as this elite defender, he wasn't even that good of a defender at shortstop last year. He won his gold glove playing third and not shortstop, and he did struggle playing short for us last season. But here's the interesting wrinkle that we need to kind of keep in the back of our heads because something might be cooking here. And I, I, there, I'm going to say two things, and I feel like you're going to hate hearing both of them. The first thing I'm going to say is that Last year at the deadline, we had an agreement to trade Glaber Torres, right? I feel like that might still be on the table, right? With the way that Volpe is playing and with how how much our front office loves Peraza, I feel like there might be a world where we trade Glaber for something else. I don't know what that is. I know we almost traded him to, to the Marlins for a pitcher. Maybe that's still on the table. The second thing I, I'm going to say, I know you're going to hate it. And you and I will laugh a lot off line talking about this but josh donaldson's <laughs> actually hitting in spring training and he's got a new stance and he's hitting home runs again and it really makes you wonder how much are we going to loathe watching him continue to play on our team and what do we do with ourselves if he's actually good this season <laughs> i know what we do if he's good this season we uh trade him to the texas rangers or no the tampa bay rays that's definitely where he fits better he he belongs in the tampa bay rays bullpen or send him to the Astros, man. <sighs> they lost Gurriel, so he'll fit right in. No, but if he wins a World Series ring at the end of all of this, I'm just gonna flip out. I I can't. I would I would much rather trade him to Tampa and have him throw out of the bullpen for them because that's that's where he that's where he spiritually belongs more than anywhere else in baseball. But you know, if we can't get that, I suppose you know, trading him to the Rangers, you know, would would work in a in a similar sort of way. You know, trade him to. Miami, you know, it's the wrong part of Florida for him. He'd much rather be in Jacksonville, but you know, you get the idea. I get the idea. I get the idea. But um, I mean, the, yeah. honestly, the thing that is weird for me is what the Yankees are going to do with Keisha LeMayhew. I guess they're just not sure he's going to be healthy enough to hold down a full-time role, but like him getting the guy pushed out of the starting lineup instead of Donaldson is 
not 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 the best for my mental health. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I think the idea is I think it'll be like last season where Boone believes that all the guys are going to have to have like day. So like we know Rizzo will play six days out of the week at first that one day DJ can play there, right? Whenever Glaber needs to sit, DJ can play there. Whenever Donaldson needs a break, DJ can play there. So I think 162 times a year, right? (laughs) So I think overall the logic is they'll find a spot for him in the field at least five to six days a week just through resting other guys and with his versatility. And then also the the biggest thing for us right now is that Stanton came out and said in spring training, I hit better when I play right field. And with Bader going down and Judge playing in center, that means Stanton's going to be starting off the season playing in right, which means DJ is going to be our DH. So I I think where Boone is at right now mentally is like, we're going to find a spot to play DJ almost every single day, whether it's him DHing or him playing for somebody else in our infield. So he's going to hit for us and he looks healthy again and he's hitting, he's spraying the ball all over once again. So that's exciting for us. All right. Now that everybody who was not born in New York city has turned off the podcast, anything else you want to mention here before we wrap this one up? Uh, before I wrap this up, uh, no, I, the only thing I'll say is if, if you're a succession fan, like I am, it's, it's Christmas season for us right now. And season four is back. And I, it's all I can think about. I'm so happy that it, we're back. I'm just sad. It's the final season of succession, but I just, I keep thinking about all the hilarious things uh, that were said in the season premiere. And um, yeah, but uh, for me personally, um, I I haven't decided yet what I want to write about for next week, but I will be writing for next week as well. So be ready for that. We're doing exciting stuff with the draft deck NBA pod, um, more player interviews lined up and things that we want to do. So yeah, it's pretty much it for me. All right. As he said, that is pretty much it from him. So you can find him on Twitter at Alberto Gim. He is Albert Gim, and of course, you can find his written work on NoCeilingsNBA.com, and definitely be sure to check out the Draft Act podcast this week and all future weeks. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Johnson, and you can find my written work on hashtag basketball as well. I am writing about Isaiah Wong for Thursday, so the day after all of you hear this podcast come out, certainly someone who, like Jaime Jaquez, is getting a chance to prove himself in a Final Four, so we'll see how that goes on Saturday, but... Even so, I've definitely been impressed by the improvements that Isaiah Wong has made since last season. And I had him as a pretty clear second round guy last season, too. So it's definitely interesting to see where he's at with his game. So you can check that out. Hopefully the day you are the day after rather you are listening to this podcast because that will be going up on Thursday morning. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That is always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback regarding the deep dives portion of the podcast, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.